Last week, we began this series in Habakkuk, and I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Habakkuk. I'll give you a, a little time to go ahead and uh, get there. Also, if kids can go ahead and be released at this time as well, uh, if you fall into that category, uh, you're welcome to do that. All the adults need to stay seated. <laughs> um, yeah, so we began this series on Habakkuk, and again, I think it's timely. I think it's uh, a challenging uh, book. It's a great book of the Bible to read. I would encourage you to spend some time. Uh, I almost want to ask how many read it this week. It's, it's a whole three chapters, so a few of you. Uh, please uh, jump in there and go ahead and, and just read through it. It's, it's really encouraging, and I think it is very timely. And, you know, as we began last week, with a, it was a heavy introduction because it's important that we take time to understand context, to understand what the situation was when this was written, uh, the people that it was written to, like what was happening. And so we want to make sure we do that here. Uh, too often, unfortunately, these days, we call it, uh, people like to cherry pick scriptures, right? They take it kind of completely out of context rather than reading it in its whole and entirety. But we, we want to be good stewards of the word of God here and take a look. So we did a lot of legwork last week uh, to build up so we can launch into this, this book well. We did get a little bit into it. Um, but if you remember, you know, Habakkuk was in a very difficult place as he was watching what was happening in the world around him, right? And he's crying out to God, and this, this week we're going to get into God's answer. And, you know, one of the things, just, I was, my wife and I, we like to watch these shows, uh, these fixer-upper kind of shows, right? These home improvement shows. Anybody watch those before? Anybody like those? Any guys like those? Or does, like, your wife watch it, and then you've got a bunch of stuff to do uh, in the home project, right? Well, um, my wife and I love it. The one we do love, actually, I kind of gave away, is, is called Fixer Upper. Has anybody seen that one? Chip and Joanna Gaines. Great show. They're great people. They're believers. Uh, it's wonderful, uh, the things that they do. But, you know, when you watch these shows, they come in, and they look at this house, and then basically they, they, she works up a whole kind of layout on the computer and then lays, puts it in front of the person digitally and says, hey, this is, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, that looks great. It sounds awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then... My favorite time, which, you know, again, for a lot of guys, maybe gals here too, uh, the favorite day of the project is called Demo Day, right? I even got the t-shirt when we visited there. I got a t-shirt that says Demo Day on it. And um, it's great. It's where they go in and they just start tearing out everything, right? They just tear down walls and ceilings and just pull cabinets out, right? It just looks like a war zone. And if, if we were honest about that and, and we look at it and we kind of stop there in the middle it really seems like they're going the wrong direction, right? It seems like, my goodness, this is a complete disaster. But what's interesting is we have this trust in their ability, don't we? We have this trust because of their reputation and their past successes and what we've seen, and maybe the computer thing helped us to see, but there's a trust while in the process. And, you know, in our walk with God, I think oftentimes we ask to fix something, don't we? We say, God, what is going on? God, we need you to fix this. But my question is, are we truly prepared to surrender to his ways and will we trust the process? Trusting the process is challenging, isn't it? But it goes back to that, kind of the same thing with that TV show. If we look back on the past successes, if we look back at God's faithfulness, 
it encourages us and it builds our faith as we walk through the process, right? Will we allow our faith to be tested? Will we allow our faith to be tested? It's not really the, the most enjoyable thing in the world to have our faith tested, is it? <laughs> but what is faith really if it's not a faith that's been tested? And so this is what we're going to be looking at, and, and the title of today's message is A Faith Tested. And this is what we're going to see as we go further into the book of Habakkuk. And so we're going to begin today uh, in verse 2, chapter 1, and we've, we've, we covered that last week, but we're going to kind of get a rolling startup into what we're going to jump into today. And so again, if you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever, uh, Habakkuk 1, and beginning in verse 2, I'll be reading from the ESV. And it says this, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, and so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. We covered that last week, and then here comes the beginning, and God, in verse 5, grabs the microphone, so to speak, and, and let's just read verse 5, and then we'll open in prayer. So God begins his response, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you, or if told. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to bring your word God, I pray that you just speak to our hearts, Lord, through your word. And God, again, in the times that we're in and just the challenges and uncertainties, God, we're grateful and thankful, Lord, that we serve a God who is overall and who is faithful. And so, God, help us to put our trust in you today. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Corey Ten Boom, who many of you know, uh, she, she has some amazing uh, literature out there and just some of her uh, journals and things. Uh, and one of the quotes she, she is accredited with is this, is, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And I think, again, I think we can relate to that. I mean, imagine her situation in a concentration camp where t- tomorrow was not a bright future. None of it, even the day after, the week after, you know, tremendous persecution she went through. And she, she says that, that even in that setting, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. I think that's really important for us to learn how to have strength for today. And remember, in in this moment that we're reading, what we're reading in Habakkuk right now, is there was a wait involved, a waiting, right, before God's answer came. Like I always say, you know, we just have to read a couple lines or flip a page and we get the answer. But Habakkuk was in this long waiting period. And so here comes God with his answer, right? We can celebrate, right? God is finally responding and God... Gives the response, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. Then listen to this. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? You know, we're thinking like, wow, he's going to pour out his blessings. It's going to be just this tremendous time and wonderful time. I know all of you probably have read ahead and maybe have ruined the surprise here, but that's not the case, is it? There is a future coming and God is setting the stage, but it's not exactly the way that Habakkuk thinks it's going to go. It's not... Like, okay, this is going to be awesome. It's God's will, and it's going to be great. 
There are some, uh, some bumps ahead, aren't there? Just a few, to say the least. And so God's answer here, again, as he continues in verse 6, God answers Habakkuk after the wait with that first line, and then he continues, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Off to a great start, right? They are dreaded and fearsome. Just gets better. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, where they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. I don't know about you, but I would just rather not have known God's plan, I think, if I were Habakkuk. I'm like, that kind of information you could just save and just, just let me kind of stumble into it as I go. I, I didn't need that kind of encouraging picture. <laughs> this is the role of the office of the prophet, unfortunately, and it was never, in most cases, it wasn't an easy word, was it? And so God is like, okay, here's your answer. <laughs> just lays out the whole shebang. Not very encouraging, at least from my perspective. Maybe you guys see it differently. But from my perspective, I'm like, no, that's, that's yeah, I mean, more fierce than evening wolves, you know, dreaded and fearsome. No, those aren't words I really want to equate with the answer that you have in mind. But it's still God's plan, right? And I think if we really look at some of the challenges that we face in our walk with God in our lifetime, I think if we're honest, at least in my experience, sometimes the things that we dread the most, the, the difficult hills we have to climb, and so often we pray for God to remove those things, but oftentimes those things are part of the journey. Those things are part of God's response to what we've prayed. Not what we expected, maybe not the way that we think it should go, but God has brought it about Nonetheless, why? Because he is God. In verse 5 there, you know, it says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. And then this, this line, For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You see, God is getting across here that there is a much bigger picture going on. And God is reaffirming that he is Lord over all. Again, look among the nations. This was before the internet. This was before you know, newspapers and everything else, you know, God is reaffirming that I see the nations, I see the world in its entirety, and I am Lord over all. I see the big picture, and I am carrying out my plan for the world that I created and for the people that I created. You see, in, in that time, in Habakkuk's day, there was a prevailing optimism that it was this, that the Lord's blessing was so guaranteed that no evil would overtake them regardless of how they lived. Does it sound familiar? I mean, how often do we see people just kind of living it out like, ah, oh, you know, 
God will forgive me. And so in this Habakkuk's time, again, there was this, 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 we're God's chosen people. I can do what I want to do. I can live how I want to live because God's not going to bring evil on me. God's not going to do anything to hurt me or to bring strife or difficult seasons in my life. But notice what it says in Jeremiah uh, 5, verses 12 through 15. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, he will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, listen to this, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. He's talking about his people here. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Again, it goes against kind of what probably they, obviously what they were thinking, but God had a very different answer, didn't he? Just because you are my chosen people does not mean that you can just do whatever you want to do. And I believe that today, we too often, not too often, we often hear this, this phrase, right? God is what? Love. Love, sorry. Love, right? God is love. Just got to love everybody. We just love God's love, 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 love. But there's something else tied to that, isn't there? It's called obedience. Because God is also holy, and God is also just. And so while there is love, there's also this call for obedience. Again, if, if you have children or have had children or no children, um, you, you find out very quickly that oftentimes, at least with our kids, and they're in this room, so, um, with our kids, you know, it starts with typically when they're young and, you know, you tell them no, not to do something, do they lovingly say, okay, because I love you, I won't do it anymore. Usually it takes a little, you know, slap on the hand or I was a flicker, you know, just kind of flick them real quick, like stop. And so they begin to associate that with like not doing what they're supposed to not do, right? They're not going to do what they're trying to do because they don't want that discomfort, right? But I think every so often, it's kind of like seeing a unicorn or something. Every so often, you get these moments where hopefully your children, your child does something right simply because they love you. Not because they're afraid of the discipline, right? Again, it's rare oftentimes, but that's what we're working towards, and that's the key here, is that there's an obedience that should come from the fact that we are in love with God, that we love God so much. Not that because God loves us and we're his chosen, we can just do whatever we want. But how often do you hear that, right? How often, well, God will forgive me. I'll do this, but... That's why forgiveness is there. And I think if, if we're really looking at it, I would question probably the heart and probably the, if that person even really knows Jesus, if that's the way they're living their life. <laughs> now, is there grace? Yes. Is there mercy? Of course. 
Is God's love there and present when we fall? Yes. But again, it doesn't, it's not an excuse for us just to do whatever and to be disobedient. Another way to say this, it's, it's an abuse of grace, isn't it? It's an abuse of grace. Grace is there as a gift. And Lord knows we need a lot of it, right? Some of us more than others. <laughs> but it's not something we're supposed to just lean on and just give us a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak, and just do whatever we want. No, because we love God, we want to serve God and be obedient. So continuing forward here in verse 6, again, God says this, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which are, again, the Babylonians. And this was a people group within that came into Babylon and they became Babylonians. But this was a, a vicious group of people that were like, they were warriors. They were just, again, bad, bad people, all right? And if you remember, you know, Babylon, if you remember the capital city of Babel, does anybody remember that from Sunday school maybe, Tower of Babel, when that was built? All right, that's the same, that city eventually became Babylon. That's where Babylon came from. And so, again, this, they just really didn't have a good history, did they? They, and they seemed to just be continuing in this rebellion against God. And they had been actually around as long as the Israelites had been and were descendants of Abraham's brother Nahor, all right? So they were very closely tied to the Israelites, but they were obviously very different, different in their approach. In the Bible and Scripture, Babylon is a symbol of the world, all right? It's a symbol of the world. It's a symbol of godlessness, secularism, and greed, all right? This is when we see Babylon, when we see these images, and when it's spoke of, this is what we can tie to. It really boils down to it's mankind trying to live apart from God. Do we see remnants of Babylon and the world around us today? Do we see godlessness? Do we see this, this greed overtaking people? Do we see this attitude, and I don't think you have to look very far, of this, this idea that we can do it without God? We can remove God out of everything and just do it on our own. Much like when they tried to build that Tower of Babel, right? Their very roots, it's, it hasn't changed. And so this is the same battle that's repeating itself. And so this is this worldliness that can permeate people and it can permeate the church too. He goes on to say in verse 9 there, as we've covered, their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. Think about that. Again, not a pleasant picture. But if you weren't aware of this, this is actually how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would end up in Babylon later on, was during this siege. They were taken captive and removed from their homeland and their families and brought to Babylon. And we know that story, right? It's really encouraging, too, to see how God worked. And as these, especially the fiery furnace, that whole picture, and how they stood against what everyone else was doing, and how God honored that. But let me just say this, and this is not my, part of my message, but in that story, if you recall, what they say is, regardless if our God saves us or not, we will still worship him as Lord. Regardless, they were prepared to die that day, 
and God still would have been God, and he still would have been good and holy. In verse 11, it says, They sweep, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. You see, they are just destroying nation after nation, the people after people. They, that's, they were just destruction, the hand of destruction. That's all they did, and they just kept moving. But notice in that verse that God calls them guilty men, right? Guilty men. And I think that Habakkuk might have missed this or something because, again, God's going to address this in his second answer because Habakkuk is like, why are you using these horrific people? But God's not blind to who they are or what they are as he says that they are guilty men and there will be judgment. But they worshiped themselves. They worshiped their might, their strength. And again, I, I think we just see this far too often. Maybe not to this extent, right? But even in our own lives, we can say, I, I got this. God, I got this. How many times do we say that? It may be something simple, but it's like, God, just relax on this one. I've got it under control. <laughs> and then pretty soon the wheels fall off and you know, everything's on fire. And then we're like, okay, God, I need your help now. It's like, well, I was there at the beginning. I would have helped you. So we can very quickly fall into our own strength and doing things, trying to do things without God. And so, again, God's answer was very different than what Habakkuk was looking for. God's answer was probably not soothing balm from all that waiting and waiting that he did that he was hoping for to bring him peace and comfort. In fact, it probably brought him great anguish. And actually, it did. We're going to read some more and see what his response is. And again, so look at Habakkuk's anguish here, because now at this point, his faith is going to be tested, isn't it? It's like, you say you believe in me. You say you want me to, to take control of the situation. You want me to do something. But when it's not the way that you planned it or expected, that's really when faith engages, right? When we're praying for something and it goes the way we think it's going to go, there's not really a ton of faith there, is it? It's like, oh, yeah, this is how to expect. But when it's different, it brings a whole different light, doesn't it? And so... Again, we're going to go into this anguish that we're going to hear. And notice, though, as we talked about last week, notice how he approaches God. All right? I want you to really catch his approach. Even though he's going to bring these things and these questions, notice his attitude and the way he approaches God with his concerns. Habakkuk 1 and beginning in verse 12. This is Habakkuk now speaking back to God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So again, he's bringing back to God what God has said about himself. What Habakkuk knows about who God is, he is now bringing that to God. Like, God, I know that you are this. I know that you are good. I know that you are God. I know that you are holy. But it's not matching right now for me in my mind from what I see and what you've shared with me. So he's bringing, again, to God, like, this is what I know of you, but how does that connect? And he continues, he says, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent 
when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And he's going to go into this whole thing about uh, the fish, this imagery. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Again, you hear his, his heart here, don't you? You hear his frustration. And interestingly enough, as I was studying this, it's the Babylonians, they would literally, they came up, they would put hooks in the lips of their slaves. And they would rope them, and that's how they would lead them. You know, down, and they, they actually, there was a lot of imagery, not just, you know, imagery, but they would actually put hooks in their lips. You see, this, this is now on the doorstep for Habakkuk. This is now what he is witnessing. So he's seeing these things. He's seeing the destruction. He's seeing this, this take place. And now he's like, God, what in the world is happening? Habakkuk has the opportunity at this very moment to abandon his faith, doesn't he? I think if we were, again, being honest and if we really looked at it, I don't want to say he has good reason, but he kind of does, doesn't he? I mean, it's not connecting. But notice his approach. Again, his relationship with God and his confidence in God's ways are what are sustaining him right now. What he has seen God do in the past, the relationship and the walk that he's had with God is what's carrying him through these questions. And these are not questions of God what are you doing? These are questions of, God, I don't understand. But nonetheless, my faith remains in who you are, in your promises. Habakkuk's attitude is key. And we can really glean from just observing the way that he is engaging God. He's laying out all of his concerns think that we face challenges today and many of us in our lives that we need times where we just kind of lay some things out to God, don't we? I think for some of us today, we need to remember and recall God's faithfulness in the past. Faith is not truly faith until it is tested, Right? I talked about the light switch last week, if you remember, turning on a light switch. It doesn't take faith to do that because it's an expected result and it's instant, isn't it? But when our faith engages something, and one, that there's not an instant result, and two, when it's not going the way that we think it should go, it, it, it challenges us, doesn't it? And it's in that moment that faith begins to take root and to grow. You know, I've, all, I've shared this, I believe, before, but... You know, when my family was in Kuwait, you know, my wife and I, we, we lost a child. She was five months pregnant. And we're in a Muslim country, and we're sitting there, 
and all along, all the, the friends, good friends, good people around us, and us too, you know, God's going to do this miracle, right? Because her water had broke, and she continued on for a couple of weeks trying to save this pregnancy and save this child. It's like everybody's going to see. God's going to get the glory. God's going to come through, and he's going to do it. And, you know, so many times I've heard these miracles happen, right? You hear these stories. In fact, they write songs about them and stuff like that, and, and they get... And just hear my heart here. They get the publicity, right? But for every single one of those stories, there's probably numerous ones where it doesn't go that way. And in God's sovereignty and God's plan, it didn't go the way that we expected it to. And she gave birth to Benjamin Paul Motter, and it was complete silence. His heart beat for an hour, and he was with us just for an hour in this world. And I promise you, in that moment, I'm like, God, it's not supposed to go this way. God, I don't understand what your plan is in this. And I don't understand how you get the glory when you could have put your whole show on display right now for all of these people that do not believe in you. But to say we had questions is an understatement. But I promise you this, that God has been gracious enough and he has given us a glimpse into his plan and the things that he worked from that time. And I promise you that our faith was much deeper following that than it ever was before. But I don't think there's a single person in this room who would sign up for an experience like that just so their faith can grow. But remember this, that God always sees things from an eternal perspective, doesn't he? He cares more about where you spend your eternity than a momentary affliction and discomfort that you have to go through on this earth. Through it all, I remember it's a lot like this. God, I don't understand it, but I know that you're good. I know that you are God, and I'm going to choose to trust you in this moment. And it was a choice, and it did not come easy, but God was faithful. Amen? And I know we know, right? We know one day we will be reunited. That empty seat at the dinner table is going to be filled one day in eternity. And it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And God blessed us. He blessed us with Joshua. Joshua came after him after we lost him one year later. And if you guys know Josh, if you've met him, it only takes one time to realize. We joke around and say there's almost like two kids in that child because he's such a fireball. But God was good and gracious, and we celebrate that. And so, again, Habakkuk's attitude in this time and in this situation, I'm sure many of you have stories similar to what I shared, and we question. But I want you to look at, if you recall back not too long ago when we were in the series on Psalms, right? You remember about that, you know, the waiting, when you're waiting, and the way that we wait, the posture we wait, how we wait, Right? We don't sit back and just kick our feet up or whatever, but there's an anticipation of what God is doing, right? And so notice what he says in, ver- in chapter 2 and verse 1. The last thing he says before God is going to give a second answer, I can answer next week. But this is what Habakkuk says. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He didn't just sit back. He didn't 
shirk back and just get into a ball and cry himself to sleep. He said, no, I will take my place at the watch post and station myself on the tower. Why? Because I'm going to wait for my answer from God with expectation. I'm going to continue to engage and ask God for that answer. And he did. And he persevered. And God does answer. But you'll have to come back next week to hear that. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean to us today? You know, this happened a long, long time ago. It's a very different setting. We don't have, like, physical armies marching onto us right now. What does this mean to us today? One thing I, I want to share is, as I want to speak to you as the American church, as a church in America, um, and just the Western culture in general. I think one of the mistakes that we make is we tend to associate prosperity in our nation with the blessing of God. And is this the right thinking, though? What do I mean? Well, does being prosperous automatically equate to God's blessing? No. Have you ever heard of, like, the drug cartel in Mexico? Right? Uh, you know movie stars and music, you know, stars and stuff like They've got, by physical standards, they're prosperous, aren't they? That's one thing, Leanne and I, living overseas, you know, we've experienced and we've had friends who have had very, very little. I mean, we would just be so humbled when we would go be invited to their home. But you sit with them and they are so full of the goodness of God, the love of God. They are so content in life with such, so little. But oftentimes, like I said, and don't get me wrong, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong saying God's blessed us with this home or blessed us with this, or, or even financially, God does bless us, but we can't get caught up on that thing as the source of blessing, can we? That can't be just always the answer, like, well, I'm making good money, I've got a lot of stuff, so God must be blessing me. It's a dangerous place to be. And it can consume us. And again, I just think that far too often we see this in our, in our nation. We see this happening. Here's the reality, and this is uh, not going to be a fun word, but here's the reality. Is, is Do you realize that one day our nation could collapse? Now hear me out. If, if there's any question in this room, I, I serve my country. I love my country. All right? I'm, I am... I think we do have one of the greatest nations on the earth. But do you realize that this is not written around America? Listen, I say this because I was like that. Before I went overseas for, you know, almost a decade, I, I found in myself, like, whenever I would approach Scripture, it's understandable, too, because many of you haven't left the country Many of you haven't lived in other places. We're so, because it's great here, and so why go somewhere else, right? And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking, but kind of joking about that, but it's true. You know, we've got everything here, and I meet so many people because my brain hasn't clicked over from being overseas because I would always ask, hey, well, so where are you from, this and that? Um, have you always lived here? You know, and everybody's usually, well, you know, I used to live like two counties over when I was a kid. I moved here. I'm on the north side. I used to live on the south side. You know, that's kind of the, before, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, 
from wherever, India or the Philippines or South Africa, you know, it's just like these crazy places, like, wow, tell me about your world. But here, it's just like we kind of are just here, and we just see here. But the reality is, is there's a big world, and if we're not careful, we can approach Scripture, and we can approach the Bible as it's just all about us. <laughs> but it's about the world as a whole, right? What am I getting at here? Listen, we talked about it last week, the persecuted church. You realize that there's places, I know you do, there are places in the world where to be a Christian is to have a death warrant on your head. Today, right now, there are Christians, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that literally have to meet in secret, and if it ever got out, the fact that they're serving God, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior of their life, they could be put to death. At best, they're going to be beaten and tortured for a long period of time. Happening right now. So, what I'm trying to say is that we got to stay focused on the world as a whole. Remember what we said earlier, God is, he sees the nations, he sees the world. There are things happening. And I shared this in the first service, I'll share it now. And this is just my two cents, and you can, you might want five cents change from this. But, uh, you know, I often say, you know, when I read Revelation, I'm like, I just don't see America being the superpower that it is in its current state and the things that happen in the book of Revelation happening. And I know that's not a fun message to hear. We want, like Habakkuk, God, bring relief, bring the, the fuzzy flowers, you know, and blue skies and white puffy clouds and, you know, just beautiful scenery, right? But it may get harder. It may get much harder. And it may not look the way that it does and has looked in the past, but let me just tell you this. Here's where the hope comes in. God is still God. God is in control. And he will not forsake his people. And if you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, and you are a follower of Christ, he will not abandon you. And he will be with you. Come what may, he will be with you. And so I want you to not get caught up, as we saw happening with the Babylonians where they were so caught up in their might and their abilities separate from God. While we may have those things for seasons and maybe now, but that is not where our hope should rest. Our hope rests in God and God alone. Amen? That's where our hope needs to be. You see, there are two responses God can take here. When there's Tremendous disobedience and a falling away. There's two responses. The first is revival. The second is judgment. Revival or judgment. Now, I don't know about you. I think most of us are going to pray for revival. <laughs> revival for 400, please. I'll take that one. <laughs> Give a Holy Spirit kick. We're good to go. That kind of hurt. But... Um, Revival or judgment, that's what it's going to come down to. And, and judgment, what happens in judgment is there's typically a hardening of hearts, right? And here's the other thing, prayerlessness. If we had a big meter back here of the prayer life in the room, would we be proud to have that back there? Or would we be kind of like, oh man, please don't put that up there. How's your prayer life? Let me just 
stirring the pot here and getting in the weeds. If, <laughs> when are we closest to God? When do we press into prayer? Is it when things are going wonderful and perfect, or is it when all hell is breaking loose, literally? The latter, right? When it's not going according to plan, when everything's falling apart and on fire around us, there's something about that. Why? Because we've come to the end of our own strength. And listen to this. Listen. One of my favorite scriptures, you know, it's, it's in our weakness he is made strong, right? Listen to that. The way that we see God's strength is when we come to the place of the end of ours. Right? Again, nobody in this room is probably going to raise their hand and say, sign me up for that. But when God brings us to those places of there's just no more that we can do, we find ourselves right there in that moment experiencing God's strength. And as we press in with prayer, it changes everything. And so, again, what I would love to see is a pressing in with prayer. From all of us, myself included. Because for revival to happen, first is repentance must take place. We must say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for taking you for granted. Forgive me for not being in prayer, for not spending time, for not doing what, I, what you've called me to do. For taking for granted, it's for cheap grace, right? Forgive us. And I'm not talking about like a, forgive me, I'm talking about like the, the ugly cry, you know, with snot and just everything, and we're just down there and just like, that's where we need to get to though, right? God, forgive us. Forgive us. And following repentance will come prayer, and then revival can come. I believe that there can be a second great awakening. I believe that America in, in this land, it, some great things God can have in store for us. Some, some, the saints, the church is going to have to rise up, and the church rises up by getting down on its knees, right? And crying out and admitting we need to be saved. We need God. You see, God was just and right to judge the Babylonians. And he does later on. And he does the Persians, he, he judges them, and after them the Greeks, and then the Romans, Right? All of those nations, all of those people fell. They were ruined. So we just don't know what God is doing right now with our country. Revival or judgment? One of those things lies on the horizon. And I would just encourage all of you today to press in, to grow your faith through this time. But I can promise you this too, that whatever he does it will be the right decision because he is God and he is just and he is sovereign over all. As the musicians come, there was another quote I came across by Corey Ten Boom that I wanted to share. And what an amazing life, amazing woman and just what she lived through. Um, and she said this, she says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God.
Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If you're here in this place today, if you're watching online, and if you know God, then you should have a testimony somewhere, right? I think most people in here, most people watching, if you look back, you know, God gives us those glimpses and you see God's faithfulness. Maybe it's how you came to know Christ. Maybe it's through a challenging time. You know, I shared something that Leanne and I went through. You know, it was painful and hor- horrific. It was a horrible experience. But to look back and, and for God to, to see his hand and him sustaining us through that time, that season. It helps us to walk and continue on in our faith, doesn't it? It reminds us. And that's what, remember Habakkuk did that. He, he went back and reminded the Lord of, of who he is and what he's done. And that's a great place to start today. It's a great place to start. I know for many, probably this week has been unsettling, uh, just kind of more confusion. I mean, as if COVID wasn't bad enough. You know, there's just been all this stuff with the election and just everybody's just kind of like, what the world is going on? (laughs) Right? You know, I don't want to be so bold as to say, you know, this is unlike anything that's ever happened before because lots has happened in our country and in the world. But it just feels like unsettling right now, doesn't it? It just feels like it's hard to find something solid to stand on. But it is during this time, in times like this, when our faith has to go deeper. Right? Our faith has to go deeper. This is the environment and this is the soil that our faith can grow deeper and we become more grounded and rooted in the things of God and the things that truly matter. What it does is times like this, we find where our our faith and our hope has been trusting in things that aren't God. <laughs> Just keep looking at me. Nobody will know it's you. Just keep looking this way. I, I, I'm there with you. Listen, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I just get to, you know, pass, get out of jail free card and not experience anything. I'm there with you. Leanne and I have prayed a lot this week, and we just, all right, God, you've been good and faithful in the past. You're going to be good and faithful now. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be comfortable through the process. But, Lord, let our faith grow. Let our faith be tested. Let us find comfort that our faith is being tested today and we have that opportunity to grow. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord God, and we come before you just broken. We come before you unsure of your plan. But God, I pray that we are still able to find certainty in Shake us, Lord. Shake the places, Lord, where we have put hope in anything that is not you. May we become bold enough, Lord, to pray the the dangerous prayer of make me more like you. And let us be prepared that you may just answer that prayer. but it will not come necessarily through comfort. It will probably come through tests and through trial.
But at the end of it all, Lord God, may we know your presence in such a real and powerful way. May we know that you are with us as your word promises that you will never leave us or forsake us. As we're promised also that as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear evil for you are with us, Lord. Nowhere does it say that we're going to go past or skip over. But God, the beauty comes in that passage of scripture where it says that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God, let us know that you are present today with us. And God, we would cry out to you today that there would be revival in our country, Lord. God, that there would be a returning to you, that churches all over, Lord God, would fall to their knees and cry out to you, Lord, in brokenness. And God, that you would pour your spirit out, Father, for a great move. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are working and doing things beyond that which we could imagine. And again, let our hope and trust be renewed today in you. In Jesus' name.